morning. Let's don't fly away before I get through, though, okay? <laughs> this morning I'll be reading from 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 3 through 13. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of the time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to, be, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Amen. This is God's Word, and please be seated. Inside of your bulletin, you're going to find a single sheet of paper that has the title of the sermon on it, The Place. You can uh, pull that out and use it if there's something that uh, uh, I might say this morning that you want to think about uh, sometime this week or there's something that you want to reflect on. It's a good piece of paper to, to write those thoughts out on. And at the same time, you can write down the points of the sermon to help you kind of track with what it is that we're going to be talking about uh, this morning. Uh, before I do that, though, uh, I do want to take care of just a, a little bit of, of, of housekeeping. Uh, uh, this is, uh, uh, pertains to um, uh, our services and the, the, um, the remembrances and the, uh, the time together that we're going to spend with, uh, with Glenn and his extended family. Uh, as many of you have, have already heard, uh, we uh, had uh, Stacia go to be with the Lord this week and finish her race and to, to go into the presence of God this week. And there is going to be a visitation from 3 to 6 this afternoon at the Porter Loring Funeral Home on 1604 and Gold Canyon. That's going to be today, 3 to 6, uh, up at Porter Loring on the north side of town. The funeral for Stacia is going to be here in our main auditorium at, uh, at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. And I know uh, many of you uh, are going to be at work. Uh, we know that uh, lots of you are going to be taking some of that time off in order to be here and to be an encouragement to Glenn and to his family. And uh, we also uh, had some news this morning that uh, Arnold Brasenio lost his, his mother. And, uh, you know, it's just, a, it's just a strange day in the world, that first night without your mom. And when you lose people that 
love you unconditionally like a wife and a mom or a father or somebody uh, related to us that way, it's a significant thing. And so I want to encourage you to be praying for these, these families and for these two men, our two brothers and their extended family as they go through this process of grief. And we're going to begin that right now by not only praying for them, but praying for us as we go through this study this morning. Father, we're grateful that when life around us seems so threatened and we seem so fragile, that mountains seem to be leveled all around us and, and stars falling from the sky, the, the, just the upheaval of our own personal world, Father, is so great. It's, it's our prayer to always have faith that looks to you and finds peace and finds strength. And we pray this not only for, for Glenn and for Arnold and their families, but we pray this for all people all over, Father, in, in this world. We, we think of all of those, uh, those folk in Syria and the suffering that they go through. We pray, Father, that your people will always be a light and a word of hope and a word of encouragement and the words of the gospel in word and deed to all of these people. And as we think about heaven uh, one more time this morning, we're asking you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear in such a way, Father, that we discern your word, the words that you speak to us in such a way that we turn from what it is on this planet that, that, that occupies our focus, Father, and we turn all of that, all of that affection on you. And to this end, Father, we pray that you bless us. And this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You know, you get to a certain age in life, and everyone that gets there experiences this at least one time in their lifetime, and that is, you forget what day it is. Uh, you forget uh, not just the date, but you forget what day of the week it is. This last week, talking to a brother, and he goes, hey, I'll see you tonight, thinking it was Wednesday, and it was actually Tuesday. And believe it or not, there's actually a, an academic study that came out of England that helps us a little bit to understand why, why we attach importance to certain days and do not attach importance to certain days in a way that it affects our memory. And what the study said is that Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday are just days during the week that just kind of get jumbled up. They're the ones that get messed up the most. And the reason for it is we don't emotionally attach a lot of, of any kind of feeling to those days. That's the reason why nobody ever forgets Monday. I mean, remember the Carpenter song, Rainy Days and Mondays Always Get Me Down? Nobody ever forgets a Monday. They're always dreading it, right? Now, that's negative feelings, but we attach a lot of emotional energy, even though it's negative, to that day. And then there's Friday. Yeah, Yahoo, why? You know, T-G-I-F, right? Thank God it's Friday because it's the end of the week, and the next day is Saturday. We attach emotional energy to days, and that really sort of specifies in our memory the days that are important and not important. Now that brings us to our text and the problem that Peter is facing. Peter is afraid that the people he's writing to and the people that he ministers, the people that he loves, his brothers and sisters in Christ, are going to treat the most important day in the history of the entire world like it's a Tuesday. 
In the text that Roger read for us, there were two days. In reality, they're the same day. But there were two days that were mentioned. Do you remember them? In verse 7, it is the day of judgment. And then down in verse 10, it is the day of the Lord. Now, in reality, they're the same day, and Peter wants everyone to understand the importance of those days, not only for their own life, but for the, 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 the history of creation. And so he says, the day of judgment is a day of action. It's going to be a day in which God, through His great power and His great might, intervenes in the world in such a way that everything is reversed and made the way that it's supposed to be. And then it's the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, in verse 10, if you, when you... When you Think about the greatness of that phrase. It is a day about a who. It is the day of the Lord. Now, think about a wedding for just a moment. It's the bride's special day. Grooms, you know, I, I say this all the time, and, and I'm a groom myself uh, 34 years ago, but I always say, you know, it, the, the wedding is the bride's special day. You know, the grooms, they're sort of like bathrooms at an art gallery. They're necessary, but nobody goes to look at them. <laughs> the wedding day is the bride's day. And one of the things that never happens, no one ever asks at a wedding, which one is the bride? They know which one because she wears a special dress and she's made to be even more beautiful than normal. She is the center of attention. When she comes into the auditorium, everybody stands up. Her family spends a lot of money on her special day. Friends bring gifts to the bride. Now, to be honest, you know, we're, we're sort of graciously uh, politically correct. And, and there is some graciousness in this, in the tag that says, To the bride and the groom when these gifts show up. But when you think about it, really, what is a groom going to do with monogram bath towels? <laughs> you know, when they start showing up at these weddings with a chainsaw with a bow on it or a hunting dog, you know, then we can say, yes, that's for the groom. But everything until then is for the bride. It's her special day. It's about the bride. It's the day of the bride. The day of the Lord is about the Lord. It's where everything gets reversed. Everything and everyone will recognize that God is really the center of all things. You know, one of the last times that human beings with their own eyes saw the Christ, he was riding a donkey across that bridge, across the Kidron Valley, into the Golden Gate and into the temple area. But the next day, on that day, the day of the Lord, they will see him riding on the clouds. One of the last times that humans saw the Christ, he had a puffy and broken lip and spittle was running down his face. His eyes were swollen shut and the flesh was beaten right off of his back. But on that day, he will radiate with so much light that you will feel like you need to take cover. One of the last times that a human being saw Jesus, he was murdered on a cross and he succumbed to death. But on that day, every eye will see him and know that he is incapable of knowing death ever again because he has swallowed it up in victory. You know, one of the last times that a human saw Christ, his lifeless body was being gently laid in a garden tomb. But on that day, everyone will see Every eye will see that he is the once and forever king. But the world situation that we live in tries to really diminish that and to dampen all of that. 
to make it seem like that day, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the day of the Lord, when every eye will see him, that it's going to be just like a Tuesday. So he writes in chapter 3, verse 3, the verse 3 of chapter 3, he says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing. It happens two ways. Notice the very next verse, verse 4. Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And so what you have is this, 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 this problem of, of logic. The scoffers are saying that, hey, time just keeps going on and on and on. You know what it is? It's just the same old, same old. But all that proves is, it doesn't prove that he's not coming. It just proves that it's not happened yet. And then you drop down to verse 7. He says, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the, of the ungodly. And that's where it gets really sort of emotionally uh, and, and culturally a problem for a lot of people in our, in our own world, in the Western world. That day, as it's described, just seems so violent. I mean, just judgment. I mean, it just talks about judgment all the time. You know, the really funny thing is that Christ talks about judgment more than anyone else in the entire Bible. But here's Peter talking about this judgment day, and the reaction to it is that nobody in our culture really likes to talk about judgment. I mean, it sounds so much like judgment. But you know, when you think about it, who wants to live in a, in a universe where there's not justice? I mean, who wants to live in a universe where everything is not put to the right? And so when we think about it, this is going to be an incredibly, particularly important day. And Peter doesn't want them to think of that day and to confuse it with any other day in history. So he says down at the very end of it, this is the day that we look forward to. We look forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's what we're looking forward to. Now with just a quick recap from the last couple of times we've talked about this, we need to remind ourselves because Plato is going to creep in again, but we have to be careful of letting Plato influence our thoughts about life and death. You'll remember Plato was the guy that said, everything that's material, everything that's physical, everything that's tangible, you know, the body, everything else, that's the bad stuff. It's the corrupted stuff. It's the stuff that can't be trusted. The only good stuff, spirit and soul, and that's the only thing that matters. I was at a funeral this last week, this last Monday, and had one of the daughters of the fellow that had passed away saying, you know, talking about her father's uh, spirit only being trapped in this vessel. It's, it, the idea is it, it, the body is just this place where all of the stuff, the good stuff, like spirit and soul, gets stored. Now that is a prevalent way of thinking, and that's Plato, but that's not the Bible. The Bible speaks of the redemption of the bodies because the material body is created by God and it's important. Without going through all of that again, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 52, just as a reminder, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. If God meant to start over with no continuity between the body that I have right now and the one that I will have, why does Paul say the dead will be raised? Why not say the dead will not be raised? Because that's the more believable thing. 
When you think about what happens when we die, our bodies decompose and the molecules are scattered to the four winds and God has to start from scratch. But he doesn't write that because it's not true. Our resurrection bodies will have a physicality to them. The question then is where will they exist? And a material body will exist in a material heaven. We will live in a material place. Romans 8, verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies." interesting passage when Paul writes that creation was subjected to frustration but not by its own choice he is referencing Genesis chapter 3 and the curse that 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 God pronounces that the, the earth is going to be full of the thorns and the thistles and since then creation eagerly waits in fact you kind of get this idea in Romans chapter 8 of, of creation sort of standing on its tiptoes that its creation is eagerly awaiting for the for our glorification in the resurrection, by Christ, because at the same time, it will be brought into its glorious freedom from the thorns and the thistles. Now notice the two descriptors that Paul uses here. The first one, in verse 21, is liberation from bondage to decay. Liberation from bondage to decay. Now, let's just step out of the material world for a second, and let's think about bondage. When, when humans are made slaves... What happens to them? When a human being becomes a slave, what happens to that human being? Well, they become incredibly less than what they were created to be. That human being becomes objectified. He becomes part of a labor pool. She becomes part of a labor pool. It's, it's, it's a, a objecti uh, being objectified as a human being. No longer a human, but, but something that you can get out of a human being. They stop thinking of themselves as having worth. They come under this, 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 uh, this life, and they function in this life in, in discouragement, and they live in wretchedness. That's what it means to be in bondage. But then they are liberated from that kind of existence, from bondage to that kind of life. They become liberated and their future is completely changed. They regain what it is they were originally created to be that is made in the image of God. Now we step back into the material world. This is the language that describes what will happen to the earth. This is what the earth will be labored, uh, liberated to. It will be li liberated to become what God created it to be. And then you drop down to the next verse, verse 22, another uh, metaphor. He talks about the pains of childbirth. You think about the, the, the pains of childbirth. I mean, 
Personally, I've never been a part of one. But there's excruciating pain during labor. The, the, one of the most famous San Antonians, Carol Burnett, once described it this way, helping men to understand it. She said, being in labor is like taking your bottom lip and forcing it over the top of your head. Probably pretty accurate. But what happens after all of that travail, all of that pain, all of that labor? There is this incredible joy that follows because of a new life. Why is there joy after all of that? It's because a new life is brought forth. Now the reason this is important is because in Romans 8, we do not find the language of annihilation of earth. Which brings us to our last point, and that is the material place is the new earth. Our text that was read this morning speaks very graphically about judgment and destruction, but how does creation have hope, Romans chapter 8, if annihilation is its future? Now there are more than these, but let me give you two, because of time this morning, let me give you two reasons to reject annihilation. You'll notice in the context of the, the, the passage that Roger read, that one of the examples that Peter is, is forcing his, his readers to go back to is, is Noah's flood. Two reasons to reject annihilation. The first one is when the earth was destroyed by the flood, it did not disappear, did it? When the earth was destroyed by the flood, the earth did not disappear. Noah landed the ark on dry land and repopulated the earth with those saved, both humans and animals, that the heavens that will disappear in, this, in this, this metaphor that he's using in chapter 3 of 2 Peter all the way from verse 3 to verse 13, the heavens that will disappear is that invisible world where the spiritual enemies of God operate, the, the heavenlies, the earth is going to be laid bare. That is the language of judgment. And, and then notice this, the end result of the fire is a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now, Greek is, 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 is a, a really incredible language. And you, you know how the Eskimos have all of these words for snow? Greek does the same thing with words like love and time and new. In fact, if you think of the word in Greek for time, you have to ask which one. You have the word chronos which is like chronological, tick-tock, 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 one second right after another. Then you have the word kairos, which means significant time. One time when Ellen and I were in Africa, we were meeting in a place called Kwekwe Red Cliff, where a church was meeting, an African church was meeting, and we were supposed to meet at 6 o'clock, but the tick-tock, tick-tock, chronos time of 6 o'clock was not all that important. How do you know that? It's because when we got there, nobody was there at 6 and finally they started showing up, and then when they finally got started, the preacher at that place said, before Mark preaches, uh, who has come from the United States, uh, brother so-and-so is going to lead the, the communion service when he gets here. And brother so-and-so is going to lead the singing when he gets here. 
and, and brother so-and-so is going to lead us in prayer when he gets here. And the idea of kairos as opposed to chronos is that kairos is about significant time. It wasn't about meeting from 6 to 7 that night in Kwekwe Redcliffe in Zimbabwe, Africa. It was about the event that was supposed to happen near 6 o'clock, but it was about the people getting together in the worship of God. The word new in Greek that we find in this text is the same thing. You have the word new, neo, as in neo-Nazi, which means, you know, here's uh, the, uh, a, a new Nazi movement that has popped up. It's not like the old one, except that it has some similarities in philosophy, but it's a different movement altogether. And then you have the word kainos, which means new, but it means new in a different way. I have a friend who completely remodeled her kitchen a couple of years ago. She asked some of her friends, including myself, to come over and to see her new kitchen. And when she said, I want you to see my new kitchen, she did not mean that there is now a kitchen in a place where there wasn't a kitchen before. She meant, see my kitchen that has a new look and new remodeling to it. And so we find the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. It doesn't mean that as soon as you're baptized, you become this new creation, that you disappear and somebody not even close to you, resembling you, shows up. It means that God is remodeling you from the inside out. The old has gone, the new is here. Paul doesn't mean that when someone is saved, a completely different person suddenly appears. He means that that old person is being changed into a new person, one that looks like the Christ. And so when Paul say, or, or John says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, he says, I am making everything new. He's not talking about something that's now there that wasn't there before. He's using the word kainos. It's not something now present that wasn't there before, but that something has, has been changed and updated and remodeled and, and completely reformed and made to look new. What all of this means is that when, when someone asks me these days, where is heaven? I tell them that they're standing on it. We're standing on what will be one day the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. God did not create the material world just to throw it away. But, but He created it as something that brings glory to Him. So what about the destruction, fire, the elements melting in the heat? Well, remember the comparison with the flood when the earth was destroyed. The earth did not disappear, but the evil was being removed. And when you think about fire biblically, fire does not always annihilate, but sometimes it purifies and is what is used to bring out what is best. And so in 1 Peter chapter 1, in talking about our faith, Peter, having written this earlier letter, says, these have come, these trials and tribulations have come, so that, the proof, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It's refined by fire. The fire purifies our faith. It does not destroy it. It can, 
But that's not the point of it when God brings that, that, that moment of suffering, that moment of adversity. It is to strengthen and deepen your faith. And what this is about in closing is about two things. Number one, it's about victory. You know, one of the things that we say all the time is that God triumphs over evil. That, that one day this evil is going to disappear. Do we, do we believe that, in, that the earth has become so corrupted, that, that Satan has become so powerful, that he has, he has leveraged God so much that God cannot redeem the earth? He can redeem us, but he can't redeem the earth. If we believe that, then we believe that Satan has at least won a little bit. But the victory is complete. And from Genesis to the maps in the Bible, it's all about God. And this is the second point. This is about fellowship. God has been working through all of history, and the Bible is the story of that one is the stories of that one story of God working to return us to the garden. Now, I'm, I'm, when I say that, I don't mean I believe that he's returning us literally to a garden. But what I do believe is that God redeems the earth, Romans chapter 8. And that God refuses to be God without us. And that's why he goes to the trouble of the cross of his son Jesus who redeems us from our sins and death is swallowed up and the resurrection one day is what we, what we experience. And we will be with Him in that new earth and that new heaven where righteousness dwells. In this life there are tribulations and in this life there are temptations and in this life there are things that, that cause us to suffer and to hurt and to be in pain. But God gives us a vision of, of life with Him. A, a, a life with Him that is forever and ever and ever. And that's the thing not only that we hope for, but it's the thing that we anticipate. And maybe this morning, I, I don't know where you might be with God right now, but maybe one of the things you're struggling with is, is whether or not you're in that fellowship with Him, that you're in that relationship with Him, that you have that, that, that adoption into sonship that the scriptures talk about. We're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front, the spiritual leaders of our church, during the singing of this next song. We want you to come down and talk to them about all of these things that might be on your heart. At the same time, if there are some prayer requests that you want your church family to know, send them down at the same time as we stand and praise God together. Christ above me.